It's good, man. All right, good. Well, um, my name is Ricky, and happy Mother's Day to all the moms out there. Um, a couple notes before we jump into the preaching of the word today. First, uh, we've had several folks uh, in a wonderful way reach out and just re- related to the current border situation, ask what they can do to help. And so as many of you have seen, there's been a significant change to our immigration policies in the United States uh, with the ending of Title IX, surge in, in migrants in the area. And so if you're wondering where to donate or volunteer or help in that uh, situation in our community, we recommend partnering with two organizations in particular. One of them is the Rescue Mission. Uh, that, that You typically know that as the organization that helps with um, homelessness and uh, addiction recovery, but they've also pivoted and are... are in a wonderful way, are trying to serve migrants as well. And then the El Paso Baptist Migrant Relief Center. I don't know what the acronym for that is. Is the old EPBMRC, as it rolls off the tongue. And uh, they got to figure out a shorter name for that. But the reason we're recommending these two places in particular is that these two organizations are committed to caring not just for the material needs, but for the spiritual needs of the migrants in our area. And they really do believe that this is such a crucial moment to be able to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, regardless of, of kind of what happens with their immigration uh, case in, in the U.S. court, to be able to give them the hope of the gospel even more than the hope of a, of a new country. So you can find links to those organizations on our church blog. And please note that each group is requesting specific items, so please check the appropriate websites before you just donate items. They have some specific needs they're looking for. You can also volunteer as well, which we'd encourage you to consider. In addition to that, we have a number of law enforcement personnel in our church who are helping respond to the situation. And so that situation has often meant, as I've talked to uh, different law enforcement folks in our church, it's often meant changing guidelines and long hours at work and uh, vacation requests getting denied. And so uh, if we want to pray for and encourage the church to pray for those in our church who are part of the law enforcement response and uh, even the medical community in some cases. Please check on those folks that are impacted by this. I encourage them and uh, build them up in the Lord, if you would. All right, now let's um, open our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. Now we'll warn you as we are celebrating Mother's Day. This is the next passage in our study of the book of Ephesians. So we did not specifically select this passage for Mother's Day for reasons which will become clear in just a moment. Uh, If you are a mom, one of the realities of being a mom is that you... Uh, you face many challenges, whether you're a mom or a mentor, or a spiritual mom to someone. And so one of the things we want to do to serve you and bless you, in addition to creating a hopefully a super fun photo spot in the back, is to equip you with the truth of God's word, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. And so uh, we have these books available for moms and spiritual moms on the back table. We still have a number uh, that you look for. It is the orange cover. And the reason I love this book for moms is that so often... We in the, in the Christian life are wondering what to do next or what do I do here? What do I do? What do I put my kids in? How do I help my kids with this grade level that they're on? There are a lot of what questions, but this book is about the, the who question, meaning more important than what to do is who you are to be in Christ. And in that, there's wonderful clarity and encouragement about who you're meant to be as a woman and as a mom. So grab one of these. Hopefully it'll encourage you. Those are on the back table. 
And as we turn to Ephesians chapter 6, you'll notice that in just a minute, I'm going to talk about a lot about battles and warfare and armor and charges. And uh, I thought there's no better way to celebrate our moms than talking about World War II for a while. Um, I think the only, the only way to make this even is if on Father's Day, we do like a, an extended Hallmark kind of related story just, just to serve everyone. Uh, but Ephesians chapter 6 is profitable, regardless of whether you're a mom or not a mom, whether you're in that season of life or in a totally different one. God's word is profitable and helpful in every season. So let's see what the Lord has for us today in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. This is God's word. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for the saints. This is God's word. And Lord, I pray that you bless the preaching and the hearing of your word today. May it be an encouragement to all who listen. Amen. Well, if you're downtown uh, in front of the History Museum, you may notice a statue of some World War II era soldiers. Has anybody seen the new kind of statue thing in front of the Museum of History? Yes, one person has seen it. Okay, it's either one of those things, maybe you haven't walked by because of all the construction, or you just, you think, okay, there's some monument to something. Sure, great. But that monument is actually an incredibly important monument to the El Paso community. It's a memorial to the men of Company E who played a crucial role in the Second World War. And it was a unique unit because uh, it was a National Guard unit from the United from from El Paso and it was the only all Mexican American unit in World War II and all of the men as I said were from El Paso and as a result uh, they because they were a a guard unit these were not people who were professional soldiers meaning 100% all the time they're in the guard and so they were jumping back and forth between civilian life and military life. And so they, the, the, that era, you, you can imagine them uh, getting off work, punching out of work, wherever work was, and stopping by the store and getting groceries and, and maybe seeing newspaper headlines about the growing crisis in Europe and the, the attacks of Japan in Asia. But very much it felt like, okay, well, that's happening over there, but this is my life right here. And all of that suddenly changed when the unit was mobilized right after the attack at Pearl Harbor and was sent to training. And all of a sudden that became, the war that was way out there somewhere became right up close and personal for each of these men and their families. 
And in the same way, if that's what Ephesians 6 feels like. Uh, Paul is going to talk about this great spiritual war going on around us. But often as a Christian, we think, okay, well, I live right here. And sure, maybe there is some spiritual warfare going on somewhere, you know, over there, over here. But I'm just picking up groceries. I'm just punching out of work. That, that's my life. No, no, no. Paul is saying, listen, you, you Christian, are getting mobilized. This is going to go from being way out there to being right up in front of you. And so the main idea today is that the Christian life is a call to stand and fight. Paul is going to, in a, in a wonderful kind of rhetorical device, he's going to sum up what he's been calling the church to throughout the book of Ephesians and say, this is what I want to leave you with. This is my final charge to you as a Christian. So the first question then, the answer is, well, who fights? Is it the spiritual super soldiers, the guy that everybody, there's one in every community group, the guy that reads like a one theology book a week, you know, and he gave you one and you're on chapter one and he checks in every week, you know, um, or that, that great woman who spends time every morning in prayer and never misses a day and like, okay, those people are getting called up. The rest of you lot just get in the back. Paul doesn't call those people to the front. He, Paul's comfortable calling out specific groups. In fact, he's just done that for the last chapter. He said, okay, husbands, okay, wives, okay, kids, okay, parents. Earlier, he was like, okay, Jews, okay, Gentiles. And, and yet, right here at the end, he returns to calling the entire church to something. And he calls the entire church, every Christian, to stand and fight. I read about in, in Company E this particular soldier who uh, was supposed to be discharged from his guard unit on December 10th, 1941. And I just think about that guy the last year, he's, I mean, the last week of his, I, I, the, we've known a number of, of folks in the army that their last week in the army, they're just like, bah, 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 but you know, they're just like dancing around. And then it, of course it takes like six months to actually get out of the army because you got to go with this person and this person. This person. But there, there's a lightness to them. There's a five o'clock shadow starting to form. They're getting as close to a beard as they can before they are allowed to grow a beard again. And, and yet that's what this guy was experiencing. And yet on December 7th, three days before he's supposed to get discharged, Pearl Harbor happens. It's all over the airwaves. He's mobilized and shipped off for training and exercises, right? It may feel like that, but that is the call to every Christian today, regardless of whether you're like, yeah, I'd like to fight. When you get saved, there's no box to check. Would you like to be involved in the spiritual war? Check yes or no. And you're like, ah, I'm going to say no. I'm, I'm happy to cheer on the people fighting. Good job, soldiers out there. And then you click on your Netflix queue, right? That's, there's no option for that in the Christian life. Every single Christian is called to fight. And, and let me just say this, every season is a fight for a Christian in a different way. And there's no season in which you coast. There's no drifting spiritually to a good place in the Christian life. Every aspect of the Christian life, every season of the Christian life is a fight. So second question then, who do we fight? It's important to know. Well, Paul lays out this very intimidating picture. He says, we're going to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, some people will take this and try to then construct some sort of demonology chain of command. 
You know, and they'll ask, like, oh, are you fighting a, an authority or are you fighting a cosmic power? Because you've got to use different weapons for each one. And then this one reports to this one and this one. No, that's not what Paul's doing. He's not laying out a chain of command. Instead, what he's doing is he's painting a picture. He's using all these terms to paint a picture. And the picture is this. It is dark. It is scary. It is intimidating. These are spiritual forces that you may not see it right physically in front of you, but they are all over the place. And they are dark and... They are powerful. Like that's the picture. Paul wants us to know what we are up against. The reality is this. This is the spiritual reality that surrounds us and surrounds every Christian, whether they check yes or no for spiritual warfare in their life. The reality is this. The devil hates God. The devil and his forces hate God. They hate God's rule. They hate God's justice. And from the beginning, uh, after their choice to rebel against God, they have opposed the Lord and his good and just rule with everything in them. And as a result, as you see from the very beginning of Genesis, they hate humanity. Now, why why does the devil hate humanity so much? Because humanity was made in the image of God. So they hate his image because they hate him. And they especially hate, the devil especially hates the redeemed. He hates the Christian, whether you be male or female, young or old. He hates that God has set his love on you and saved you and is sanctifying you and changing you and has given you a beautiful future and a hope. He hates that. He hates the work of the church. He hates that every person, regardless of where their background is or who they are, what they've done, can be welcomed into the family of God and then added to the body of Christ and given a purpose and a hope and a future. He hates that. And he hates the cause of the church to preach the gospel to every tribe, tongue, language, and people that more might be gathered in and more might be made more beautifully into the image of God. He just hates all of it. So know this, there's no aspect, uh, uh, there's no ability to check yes or no. Even if you're like, I'm going to be a Christian, but I don't want to be a spiritual warfare Christian. It doesn't matter. He still hates you. He's still coming for you. That's the reality. And you need to recognize it. When, when Company E went for exercises, they were actually sent from El Paso to, to, I think it was, if I remember, Brownwood, Texas. I don't even know where that is. Somewhere in East Texas. And they were doing these exercises. And one of the most important exercises they did was they had to learn to identify the enemy. Because when you're on the battlefield, you're going to need to identify from a distance, is that an American soldier? Is that a Nazi soldier? Is that an Italian soldier? Is that a French soldier? What do they wear? What do I look for? Right? Other Otherwise, you're totally useless. Like either you're not fighting anybody or you're just fighting everybody, neither of which are helpful. And in the same way, Christians must be careful to identify the right enemy. Like so I think this, if I could just push on this a minute, understanding that there are deep spiritual forces that are opposed to God that really do affect culture, they do, they do draw in and tempt our hearts, understanding that changes who we see as the real enemy in the world around us. One of the most tragic stories out of that, that training uh, um, season for Company E was when a bunch of these Mexican-American soldiers went to a diner after finishing exercises for the day, and uh, a waitress came over and informed them, uh, the, informed some of the light-skinned soldiers, uh, listen, you guys are fine, but the dark-skinned soldiers, they can't eat here. And of course, the, the light-skinned guys are like, uh, 
do you understand we're Mexican-American too? And they're like, oh, really? Then, in fact, then you can't keep eating here either. And, so, and then the owner came out, and, and they tried to talk to him, and he was like, no, but this is it. You're going to leave. We don't allow people like this in our, in our diner. And so eventually it led to a fight, and here's what happened. They got kicked out. Then the U.S. military basically said, okay, this diner, which is close to where all these soldiers are, is off limits. Nobody can eat there. Led to a, a pretty quiet World War II for that diner, I'm sure. And they find the diner. And, and here's what's so tragic about it. You, you think about that situation where this is World War II. The world is at war. Like fascism is on the rise. Democracy is at stake. Like in many ways, America is the next target if everything goes well in Europe and in the Pacific. And yet this diner owner is picking the wrong battle to fight. He's fighting his own countrymen who are being trained to get equipped to set out to, to save and preserve his own life. A tragic example of fighting the wrong enemy. And Christians, we, we must be careful to see who the real enemy is. Let me just say this. The, the real enemy in our world today is not a particular political group. When I say capital R, real, and capital E, enemy, is not a political group. It is not people who educate their children different from us. It is not people who responded to the COVID pandemic different from us. I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day that is still trying to relitigate the, the, the COVID fight and pick their friends based on what they did two years ago or didn't do two years ago. It's not, the real enemy is not somebody with a secondary theological difference from us. Like we need to go spend all of our time just attacking and demolishing them. No, th th there will be times let me just say this. There will be times for real and substantive disagreements between Christians. There will be times where, where political engagement is important, but there is a difference in eternal value between opposing a particular law in 21st century United States of America, which there is a place for, but there's a difference between opposing some law and building the church that it might advance the gospel of Jesus Christ and change the eternal destinies of millions of people. There's just a difference. So we must know who the real enemy is and who we are fighting. And third, where then do we find the strength to fight? Because if you're, if you're kind of looking at this as a, I've, I've heard this preached as a sort of, you know, okay, the armor of God and this is, you're gonna go to the gym of the Lord and you're gonna do spiritual exercises which are your, your deadlifts and you're gonna get so spiritually buff that I've heard a dude say this, you're gonna get so spiritually fit that when you come walking, the devil himself trembles at you. You know, and that appeals to a certain group of guys that are like, yeah, they're flexing their like pecs right now, like, mm, mm, right? You know who you are. Um, <laughs> That is not what this passage is saying. In fact, this passage is trying to paint such a stark and dangerous picture of the enemy that we don't do that. It, it, we're, we're to look at the enemy and go, uh, nope, I'm not going to out arm wrestle the devil. That's, that's not, it's not going to go well. So then what are we to do? What is Paul calling us to do? Look at the language. Paul does not say here, Ricky, be strong in your own spiritual strength and trust the strength of your might. No, no, no. He says, in fact, the opposite. The verse says, brothers and sisters, be strong, where? In the Lord. And in the strength of whose might? That's right. And put on the whole armor of who? 
of God, right? It's not your armor. It's not your might. It's not your strength. Uh, Paul can say this. He can call us to this because the entire book of Ephesians has been filled with the truth of the doctrine of our union with Christ, that we are in Christ. Therefore, our might is not our might. It is the might of Christ as we have been united to him. Our power and strength are not our power and strength, whatever we can come up with. No, they are the Lord's power and strength with which we have been united to because of the work of Jesus. Right? This is, is what Paul is calling us to do. He's calling us to see how stark, how dangerous, how deadly the opposition is against us. And then go, listen, I got nothing, but in Christ I am strong. In Christ I have might. In Christ I have armor to protect me. Do you Listen, if you're discouraged today in your spiritual walk, I really hope you get this truth. I hope you take this truth home. That you fight not with your own strength, not even most fundamentally, most fundamentally just with your own willpower, but rather you fight in the strength of the Lord. And so that area in your life that you think I'm never going to win, I'm never going to advance, I'm never going to be able to stand, you can. Because it is the Lord's strength. It is his might. It is his armor. So then how do we do this? Well, we, we must fight. Uh, fourth question then is how do we fight? Well, we, our goal is to withstand the enemy's opposition. Now, that's a very intentionally chosen picture because if you notice, if you read the book of Ephesians, the one doing the advancing is not us, it's Jesus Christ. Right, God doesn't come to humanity and goes, I mean, you guys are going to have to figure out you know, how to save yourselves. I'll give you a few ideas, but get to it. No, no, no. We're dead. <laughs> We're lifeless. We're following the devil. And yet the Lord himself, our captain, Jesus Christ, comes to us, rescues us, saves us. And then, basically, we're to stand and withstand the assaults of the enemy as Christ advances his gospel and his church. That's the picture there. A vivid picture uh, could be the, the, the assault on Italy that Company E participated in. So uh, this unit was set from El Paso to training from there to North Africa. And then from North Africa, they were part of the invasion of Italy. Now, you may have forgotten that we invaded Italy, but it was actually brilliant. It was a brilliant move because it drew German forces out of France and out of the Russian lines and made them open up a third front. And so part of it was they knew that probably we're not going to get from Italy to Berlin, but by landing in Italy, we're going to draw tons of forces in, in the Nazi army down. And it was supposed to be a surprise attack very early in the morning. And so they, they go in and they've told, they, they basically land a bunch of infantry. So these guys are just infantry. This is not armor. And they land a bunch of infantry and they're like, don't worry. They're not going to see you coming. Um, and you're going to kind of establish a beachhead, and then we're going to land all of these things because it was a very slow process because of all the mines and stuff that the uh, Nazis had set up. And so they, they're like, don't worry. You'll get to the beach, secure it, and just kind of hold on. They knew something had gone awry when as they're, they're in boats about to land, they start to see tracer rounds come from German machine gun nests. And as soon as they hit the beach, mortar shells and artillery shells start landing on them. And they're like, this is bad. no wasn't even bad yet. Then the tanks showed up. Like a whole squad of tanks shows up. And these guys are looking around and thinking, okay, if we do not hold this beachhead, no one else is going to be able to land. So it is essentially up to us to secure this, this few hundred yards and hold it long enough so that the, 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 the army can come in behind us. 
And so here, that, that's what they did. A spoiler, that's what they did. That's why Company E is famous. That's why those guys from El Paso held it down and why there's a giant, well, one of the reasons there's a giant statue to them downtown. We, El Paso, guys, we invaded Italy successfully. It was awesome. And in the same way, we as Christians are called to withstand the punishing, constant, intense assaults of the enemy. But the good news is this. Paul gives us armor so that we can withstand. He doesn't send us out there helpless. Look at what enables us to withstand. Or maybe another way to say it is look at what we stand in so that we can stand. This is the picture of the armor of God. It would have been very familiar to many of the the retired Roman soldiers that lived in Ephesus and had retired there. And, And notice as we walk through how these function in the Christian life. First, we stand in truth, the belt of truth. So in the ancient soldier's clothing, the the belt was what brought everything together and held everything together, right? So your sword hung off of your belt. Your armor was tied into your belt. It it basically kept everything on you. If you didn't have a good belt, if it broke, your armor's fallen off. Your sword's fallen away. And so Paul is saying, you know what that is for the Christian? That is truth with a capital T. Knowing what is true and right and good and just knowing truth itself, that is what keeps everything in your Christian life together. So, for example, when your marriage is tested as a husband and you're tempted to walk away from it, you remember the truth of Ephesians 5, which calls you to love your wife as Christ loved the church and laid his own life down for her. That marriage is precious to the Lord and that truth enables you to fight. Second, we stand in righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness. Now, in the ancient world, the danger was often not getting cut. Uh, A lot of times the danger was blunt force damage to your internal organs, right? And so the the breastplate basically protected you. So instead of taking one good blow and you're dead because your kidneys fail or whatever, uh, you can withstand a bunch before your kidneys fail, which is great news, right? Happy Mother's Day. Aren't you you so blessed, moms? You're like, I did not expect this coming to church today. Well, it's going to help you. I'll, I'll get to that later. The, if you had a, a strong breastplate, you can withstand many blows. And in a similar way, the righteousness of God is what enables us to withstand many blows of the enemy. And notice this. The righteousness that he's referring to is not your righteousness. It's not how good you are. You as, as a Christian do not stand and here's all the good I've done. Here I go. You know what that is? That's like a little... That's a, a paper with Crayola on it breastplate for the Christian life if you're standing in your own righteousness. Rather, what he's referring to is the righteousness of Christ. All the righteousness of Christ has been transferred to you. As he bore your sins, you then wear his righteousness and you are secure, not on the basis of how good you are, but on the basis of how good Christ is. And that allows you to stand. When you fail and fall and you think, I'm a terrible Christian, God doesn't want me. No, you stand in the righteousness of Christ. Third, the shoes of peace. Now look, there's a lot more you could say about this particular illustration, but let me just say this. Your shoes are your readiness to, to meet whatever life throws at you with peace rather than anxiety or fear or panic 
This is so often the case for us. We remember we have peace through the gospel with God. That God doesn't look down on us grumpy and, and angry and vengeful. Rather, God looks down on us as a father, and that brings peace. We are secure in him. That peace allows us to function in the Christian life no matter what life throws at us. Next, the shield of faith. I love this image of the shield because the, the Roman shield is not like a puny shield. This is a, a small door-sized shield that you could set it and get behind it, press yourself behind it. In fact, often they would soak, if, if they knew the enemy was going to be using flaming arrows, because there's nothing worse than getting hit with an arrow other than getting hit with a flaming arrow that's covered in tar that burns the insides of your body while it's hurting you. Like, that's no good. So they would dunk their shields in water, if there was a river or something, and then bring them up, and as the arrows came in, boom, 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 they'd just be extinguished. And then the enemy's going, okay, well, I don't know what we have left. We got nothing. Right, that is the shield of faith for the Christian. And the shield of faith, again, is not, the, the strength of the shield is not based in how strong your faith is, most fundamentally. The strength of the shield is based in the object of your faith. Meaning that as you set your hope in God, as you put your faith in God, all the darts of the enemy are extinguished. As you turn to the Lord as your refuge, as your strength, as your fortress, as your protector, as your savior. Again and again, puts out arrows. And next, the helmet, the helmet of salvation, right? Here's the reality. You take one good blow to your head and you are done. One good blow. That helmet was your life in many ways. And in the same way, we are perhaps most vulnerable at Christians on the issue, at the issue of salvation. One blow to our belief that God has saved us. And everything else in our Christian life shatters. If we begin to believe, oh, God didn't really save you. He doesn't really love you. He doesn't really care about you. As the devil begins to work to undermine you at the level of salvation, he wouldn't want you. He doesn't care about you. He has left you. No, no, no. You, you with the helmet of salvation, he who did not spare his son but freely gave, us for, gave him for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things, right? That is that helmet on you in that moment. And then the sword, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, for the army, if you were marching, if you were sleeping, sometimes they would remove parts of their armor, but they never were far from their sword. Their sword was life. It meant protection. It meant defense. It meant the ability to take ground. It meant everything. An army without swords is not going to be very effective, right? It's... You can push people with your shield all you want, but you need a sword to fend off the enemy. And in the same way, Christians must be fluent and ready to use the word of God to fend off the assaults of the enemy. The, 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 that is why the Bible, in a sense, functions as our sword. We sleep with this. It's never far from us. It's on our mind at all times. Why? Because this, most fundamentally, is how we defend ourselves, how we attack, how we advance. It is our life. And there are going to be moments, Christian, where you need the word of God hidden in your heart, the word of God that you heard that week in a sermon or in a community group or in your discipleship, you will need that word to fend off the assaults of the enemy. When the enemy begins to attack, you need to fight back. And the way you fight back is not just your own willpower. It's with the active and living word of God. 
Now, good news for us in El Paso is that Company E did withstand the assaults of the enemy and probably save the world. I mean, I don't know if that's an overstatement, but I, I believe in my heart of hearts this unit from El Paso saved the world. Uh, there are all these heroic stories. I wish I could, I could, I, I read a master's thesis on this this week from, uh, I think it was, his name was Jorge Gonzalez. Uh, he was a master's student at the University of Texas at El Paso, which remains the best university in the world and the Harvard of the borderland. It was a great, great thing. You can look it up. But he, he goes through all of these uh, heroic deeds that it took to withstand the assault of the enemy. One soldier got scared. The bazooka got, one of the, in one of the units, the bazooka guy got scared. And so another soldier just grabs the bazooka and another dude and starts attacking tanks. Now, here's the great thing. that Once they rallied and were like, all right, we're going to have to take the tanks out, the Germans were so confident that the machine gun nests and the armor, uh, I mean, that the tanks and the, uh, the shells would keep the, the, the American forces at bay. They didn't send any infantry with the tanks. Because they're like, well, the tank, once they see the tanks, they're just going to run. They're going to get back in the boats and go. They did not expect them to stand. And they certainly did not expect them to go advance on the tanks. So you got guys with small arms and bazookas and a handful of grenades going and taking on German tanks. And the German tanks are falling back. This one dude with the bazooka took out a tank and then just started running down the road. And the other tank was like, uh-uh. This guy's nuts. And so the, the tank just withdraws. He's like, uh, uh. Um, My other favorite story, I just have to give you this. This is Happy Mother's Day story. So the, my favorite story of the whole thing is these, uh, these guys, they come upon a tank that was undergoing maintenance or had some problem. They had one uh, soldier left there. So they take the soldier out. And these dudes from El Paso, you got to remember these guys are from El Paso, man. They jump in the tank. And they in the tank are like, we're going we're gonna to use this tank. The only problem is everything's in German. Everything's in German. So these guys in El Paso are like, I don't know, bro. I don't read German, man. And, and yet another, another tank comes around and they figure out how to swivel the gun over, right? And they just start hitting buttons. They're like, hit the button, bro. Just that one and that one and that one. And, it just, and they finally hit the right button, take the tank out. And they're like, I think we're done. So they leave, right? This is how they withstood the assault. The point is this. The, they did whatever it took to withstand the assault because that was what they were called to do. And in a similar way, as Christians, it may seem impossible at times. It may seem intimidating at times. But we are called in the armor of God to withstand the assaults of the enemy. And not to flinch, not to give up ground, but to hold the line because we stand in the armor of God. We stand in the strength of God. We stand in the might of God. Look, this is so important because let me just give one example of what this could look like. I'm going to apply this to moms because it is Mother's Day. And I really want, have a heart to encourage moms today because motherhood is a fight. If you, if, if, if you kind of as a mom, your picture was just kind of quiet mornings as your baby coos softly next to you while you drink a cup of coffee and have found that not to be the case, you know that motherhood is a fight. And the reality is this, the devil hates families. The devil hates moms and dads seeking to train their kids to know and honor the Lord. And so the devil will throw everything he has at you. But this passage will help. 
There will be times, for example, that you feel condemned, that you feel like a failure, that you feel going to bed like, man, I just, I'm just the worst. And yet, this passage is so helpful because it reminds you, no, 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 you're protected, you're surrounded, not by how many good mother deeds you did that day, but you are protected by the righteousness of Christ. That as you go to bed and offer your prayer to the Lord, you don't offer your prayer on the basis of your own merits as a mom that day. You offer your prayer to the Lord on the merits of Christ who died for you and opened the way to the Father. You gotta cling to that in those moments. Look, there's gonna be in motherhood changes and ups and downs and you will slip and fall and fears and anxieties will creep in and be ready around the next corner. But the peace of God is what makes you ready to encounter anything. When you remember, no, 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 I'm at peace with the Lord. The Lord loves me. He is a father. And through the spirit, I can have peace in any and every circumstance. And you cling to that and ask for that you'll be ready for whatever life throws at you. Look, there will be times when, when even your salvation, the, the devil will attack your salvation. Does God really love you? Has he really saved you? Are you really a Christian? And you then are called to place on that helmet of salvation and say, no, he has saved me. He set his love on me before the foundation of the earth, as Ephesians 1 says. He saved me by grace, according to Ephesians 2. And in light of that, I am secure. And Jesus promised that no one can snatch me out of, the, out of my father's hand. And look, there will be times where you are just going to be in a sword fight with the devil. And you're going to have to have truths from scripture to be able to fight back. There will be times where the devil will come and say, no one loves you. And you have to answer with Ephesians 1, no, God set his love on me. The devil will come and say, you're never doing enough. You never do enough. You never will do enough. And you answer him with Ephesians 2, no, 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 by grace I've been saved through faith. And this is not of myself. It is a gift of God. The devil will come and say, this is too hard for you. You will never make it. You'll never be able to get through this. You're not strong enough. And you'll respond with Ephesians 4. No, I have the power of the spirit of the living God inside me. And I can do all things in Christ who gives me strength. Like this, brothers, this sisters, whatever situation you are in today, let me encourage you, take an aspect of your life, take a piece of your life and apply these truths to that part of your life. Whether it's the trials of motherhood, whether it's uh, even, we mentioned today, not having children or struggling with infertility and all of these doubts and lies are coming at you from the enemy. Whether you're, you're not, this doesn't relate to you at all and you're like an older man. You're like, okay, I, I like the World War II. I don't know about the motherhood stuff. This is for you as well. This is for every single Christian that we might withstand and having done all to stand firm. All right, last, and let me just wrap this up, I think, with an encouragement. Last question, who fights with us? Now, look, I, I want you to feel up to this point. Maybe you're thinking, okay, I, I get it. I'm, I see the enemy. I know that I have the power of Christ, but this still seems overwhelming. This still seems too hard that's where scripture provides so much encouragement. Paul calls us in verse 18 to pray at all times in the spirit, to keep alert, making supplication for the saints. And so what he's doing is he's saying, listen, he, remember, this is not a passage that's just given to one individual. So often this passage, I think, gets applied individually to Christians' lives. Like, hey, you versus the devil one-on-one. -on -one. If you grew up my age, you remember like Carmen boxing the devil or whatever that was. I'm not even sure exactly what was going 
going on there. Theologically suspect. Very cool as a, as a kid that was like 12. But that is not the picture of the Christian life here. It's not you versus the devil. It is the church with the spirit of God and the power of Christ against the devil. Right? That's the picture here. And you notice that the church support that Paul references here? He says, keep alert, making supplication for all the saints. What he's saying is, you, you're supposed to pray for that sister. You, Eric, you're supposed to pray for that brother. You, you're supposed to pray for them. They're supposed to pray for you. We're going to be praying for and supporting one another because we stand not as a single soldier, but as the body of Christ. You see how the images work together where Paul calls us the body of Christ. And then he says, oh, by the way, you're dressed in armor. We're going to war. But that body of Christ, us being connected to them, is life or death. Look, I don't care how trained a single dude from Company E would be dropped off in the middle of Italy. I don't care if that guy's Chuck Norris. There is no way he's going to hold that beach. But those men stood together with one another, shoulder to shoulder. In the same way, Christians and the church are called to stand together. Let me, my challenge for you today is this. Are, are there people standing with you? Have you let people into the fights that you have? Do people around you in your community group or in a discipleship relationship know where you're getting attacked? Do they know the doubts you're struggling with? Do they know the lies of the devil you're trying to fight? Are they praying for you and do you know theirs and are you praying for them? That's what we're called to do. We're called to stand with one another. And we're called to stand with one another in the spirit of God, right? Remember Ephesians 2 reminds us that we've been brought from death to life by the spirit. And then Ephesians 4 says we make progress in the Christian life. We grow by the spirit. And so Paul references that. It says praying at all times where? In the spirit. Meaning there'll be times that you're praying and you're like, I don't even know what to pray. I, I feel weak even in my prayers. And the spirit is there to meet you in that moment. Praying at all times in the spirit. The spirit literally, the, the word paraclete, or the word for the spirit is paraclete, which means helper. You have a helper even when you don't know what to pray, church. Even when you don't think you can do another day, you have a helper. And last, well, to apply the, the metaphor of Ephesians 4 back into Ephesians 6, that if we are the body of Christ, who's the head of the body? Jesus. Jesus is the head of the body. Jesus is our captain, our commander, and he will lead us forward. He is the one who does the work. He has dealt a death blow to Satan. He has defeated death itself. He stands with us. He will never leave us and forsake us, and he has a plan for the fulfillment and restoration of all things. And the tragic thing about Company E in the case of this unit from World War II is that it was the failure of their, of their commander that resulted in the destruction of the unit. There was a particularly pitched battle further into the Italian campaign where some men went across the river and scouted and found the enemy far more dug in than they expected. And they came back and reported to a particular major and said, Major, basically, this, is, this assault is going to be like running into a brick wall. None of our men are going to make it. And the major didn't want to hear it. He ordered the guy to go to the infirmary because he'd been wounded. He ordered the assault anyway. And as a result, nearly everyone in the unit was killed or captured or wounded. They were a great unit, but they were destroyed by a poor commander. But not so for the Christian. Church, we have a commander and a captain 
who does not call us to do things harder than he has to do. He does not call us to the front lines as he sits comfortably in an office on the back lines. No, Christ, our captain, dove headfirst into the world. He withstood the assaults of the devil with everything the devil could throw at him. He went to the cross with our names on his mind, laid his life down for us, and then rose in victory on the third day. And then through the spirit applies what he has done to the Christian, awakening their dead hearts and restoring and redeeming and washing and cleansing and healing us that we might be gathered into a gloriously happy army, taking the good news of what he has done through the world to every tribe, tongue, people, and language that on the last day, there might be a roar of praise to God from one corner of the globe and one end of history to the other. Right? That, that is who we follow. We do not follow a, a, a commander that's saying, okay, you go do that, I'll be over here. No, he's at the front lines. He's laid down his life for us. He's dragged us through the mud, back, healed us, saved us, and then said, will you follow me? And church, I hope with all my heart that our answer is a resounding yes. In light of what he has done for us, a resounding yes. I'll follow you to the end of the earth. I'll follow you to the gates of hell itself. My life is yours. So I want to encourage you, again, take one of these particular areas in life and apply the truths of Ephesians 6 for it. And I want to encourage you, especially in a discipleship relationship, that's where to work out the details of this, where you share with brothers and sisters, man, these are the, these are the lies of the enemy that I'm tempted to believe. These are the things that are getting thrown at me. These are the arrows coming at me. And maybe today, if you don't have that person that you can share that with, that's your, your resolution for the next few weeks. Find somebody in your community group or, or talk to other people and say, man, is there anybody we could just, we could meet and I could just open up what's going on in my life, where I'm, where I'm fighting. This is a church that wants to fight with you, friend. And if you're not in Christ, here's what I want you to hear. I, I don't want you to hear, listen, life is a war and you're going to get buff and fight it. That's the opposite of the gospel. What I want you to hear today is this. Jesus, the captain of the church, seeks and saves sinners like you and me who are stuck dead in the mud following the wrong commander to the wrong place. And he stops for us. And he drags us back. Right? That is the gospel. The picture of the gospel for the Christian is not, I'm like, you know, a power lifter and I'm going to bench press the devil. No, the picture of the Christian life is I'm dead, I'm in the mud, Jesus breathed life back into me, let's go. So I would love to pray with that in mind as we end. So would you stand and let's pray together. Oh Lord, today I specifically pray for our moms. Lord, as we talked about, motherhood is a fight. It is a fight, um, in many ways, our culture doesn't often value motherhood as it should, or it makes an idol out of it, and there's no in between. And so, Lord, I pray for our moms today. Lord, I pray that, that the truth of your word would be their armor this week. Lord, I pray that they would be secured with the belt of truth, of knowing what is true and what's not true. I pray that the, the helmet of salvation would be on them, that, Lord, when they question and wonder, those questions and doubts would be met by the re reminder of the, the fact that they went from death to life by the grace of Jesus. 
I pray that they would feel themselves not standing before you with their failures as a mom or successes as a mom, but rather dressed in the righteousness of Christ. I pray that the peace of God from the gospel that flows out of the gospel would guard their hearts and their minds in Christ Jesus. And I pray that the word of God would always be close at hand to them. And I pray for anyone else, Lord, in the middle of a fight, whether that that fight is something that's been mentioned or something totally different. Lord, I pray that the truth of Ephesians 6 would clothe them, that they may be able to withstand. Lord, I pray for the weary Christian that's tired of fighting, maybe a particular area, a particular health issue, a particular sin. It's tempted to give up and sit on the beach and wait for the end. Lord, I pray that hearing the call of Christ, their captain and the spirit of God at work in their hearts would, would cause them to stand again. Cause them to have strength in their heart again. And Lord, I pray for anyone that does not know you. Lord, let no one leave here thinking they just need to be tough enough to fight life's strongest battles. But rather, they would see the hope of the battle you have fought for them. That in you, the captain who seeks and saves the lost, they can be saved, they can be restored, they can be redeemed. They can be cleansed. They can be given a future and a hope. And I pray that they would set their hope in you today. And I pray, Lord, that we as a church would all stand faithfully with one another. Lord, this song we sing as we close, may it be a picture of the way we fight with one, with, uh, alongside one another and for one another. In the name of Jesus, amen.